Greetings, my brothers and sisters. Sending gratitude to all of you who are joining in today to accompany us down the rabbit hole of self-exploration through plant medicines. My name is Ryan Sprague, and I'm here to tell you that your frequency is now set and tuned to explore psychedelic medicines and the impact they made among the countless psychonauts exploring the last true frontier. Buy a ticket and take the ride with me as we get true first-hand accounts of the experiences, benefits, risks, and transformations taking place within the ever-expanding world of psychedelic medicines on this one time on Psychedelics. When we take a second to contemplate upon the idea of psychedelic and plant medicines, one thing that can be objectively said regarding them is that in one way or another, they will allow us to explore the edges of the human experience when we go into our experiences with them. For some of us, such as today's guest on the show, exploring these edges can give us great solace in life in the understanding that it is in riding the edges of our human experience that we can not only grow, but that we can push the boundaries of who we think we are, and in doing so, dare to question everything we think we know about ourselves in place of what source has in store to show us about ourselves. Sharing his time, wisdom, and experience with us today on the show is a gentleman who, like I mentioned previously, has made it his mission in life to ride these edges and help others do the same in a fashion that can allow them to cultivate a deeper sense of who they are in the world than they ever thought was previously possible. He is a retired Joint Task Force sniper, is the producer behind the wildly amazing documentary Post Traumatic Growth, which is a deep dive into the mysteries behind trauma and viewing adversity as an art form that can actually help bring us closer together rather than tear us apart, like the mainstream narrative surrounding the subject would like us to believe. In addition, he is also the chief course architect behind the Special Forces Experience Project, which builds upon the information laid out in the post-traumatic growth documentary by allowing people to have a first-hand, direct experience of intentional post-traumatic growth stemming from riding the edges of the human experience. And in today's episode, we will be diving into his experiences with psychedelic medicines, the through-line he has found between the edges these medicines allow us to ride, and the ability to have a similar experience through his work in the Special Forces Experience Project he leads, and much, much more. So please, help me in welcoming my man, Jeff Tapati, to the show. Jeff, what's up, my man? Hey, thank you. All the gratitude to you. Uh, really appreciate that <laughs> intro. Let's see if I can get up to it, huh? I believe in you, man. <laughs> Super glad to have you here, man. You know, and we met uh, briefly at the Lake House for all the listeners. That was the first time I met you. And I think you guys were filming post-traumatic growth when you were there, right? You were doing some scenes with, I think, a not Paris, if I remember correctly. Is that accurate? Yeah, and Mark. Uh, we had, yeah. oh, well, we weren't filming Mark out at the lake house. We had, uh, we, we, uh, corralled him at his farmhouse. Um, nice. but yeah, yeah, we were in the midst of it. We've since changed that working title, that placeholder to the dark night of our soul, which we've always had in the hopper for the title of the doc, but yeah, yeah, no, it was great. <laughs> that was a great time out there. Yeah, it was so cool, man. You know, Mark's get-togethers are always amazing. And I was really grateful to get to meet mo both you and Jessica out there. And uh, Jessica and I have been chatting for a while. She actually just signed up for Connect with Cannabis. So I'm super excited for that. And so, man, you know, where I really love to start these episodes is how you first got interested in the idea of psychedelics. Because as I've mentioned before in the show, a lot of us grew up in the time of just say no with the Nancy Reagan approach. And so I'm always curious to hear what got people from just saying no to potentially saying yes to saying yes. 
Yeah. Wow. What a journey. Um, <laughs> I would say the just say no approach didn't work so well with me because it was like, just say no, no, I'm going to say yes. Um, so I, I, yeah, if I go way back, I started off uh, using plant medicines very young um, and I use the term using very loosely. I was a mm. recreational guy um, and, you know, it started with cannabis and uh, a lot of its derivatives. And I, I was young. I was 12 years old mm. the first time I got high, you know, Um and of course, with no direction, just, uh, good luck. Um, anyways, uh, that went into other things into psilocybins and some other more, we'll call them chemically based psychedelics. But I, you know, I, I'm using that word psychedelic and I, I've long since changed my view of, I wouldn't use that word to overlay them. I would use it at that time, not knowing any better. Mm. Uh, and then what happened is I, I joined the military and I completely, stepped away from all of them. But before I go on with that, I did have some really profound experiences, uh, especially with psilocybin and uh, some LSDs that, mm. well, you know, in those high entropy states, th things can happen, right? You know, my very first out-of-body experience that uh, science would love to say is just the malfunctioning of one part of your brain, but it's not until you have one that you're like, no, no, it's not, it's not that. It's, it's much more, right? Um, and the reason I, I still wouldn't lump it into terms psychedelics is because I hadn't, I didn't know how to process those things, right? I didn't know how to lead up with ceremony. I didn't know how to conduct ceremony with them. And I certainly didn't know how to resolve and dissolve on the other side. So anyways, get into the military. And of course, uh, all things not regimented, uh, are not part of the military's program. So I, I stepped away from them for, oh, it was probably, what would it have been? Mm, 15 years. Okay. Mm. So now I'm in my mid thirties and I'm leaving the military. I have a very profound experience meeting someone, meeting uh, someone I love very dearly. And that did the same thing, that same claw and open, you know, your psychosphere uh, and uh, illuminated a bunch of things and was a catalyst. You know, I, I just don't like to, cause and effect things like one point to the next. I don't, I'm not really a linear dude, um, mm. but it was definitely a catalyst into my next phase of plant medicines. And now I would say they are psychedelics. They are used for me to explore my psychosphere. They are used for me. I use them myself to expand like many people. Right. Um, and really my reintroduction was, was hot. It was like out of nowhere. We were in Costa Rica and we were doing a team retreat. And they're like, they, they, they signed us up for something. I didn't really know. You know, I didn't really know. I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm in, I'm in. I didn't really know. Uh, and they signed us up for combo and mm -hmm. dime, which is a derivative of ayahuasca. So I haven't done anything for 15 years. So, you know, I'm, I'm a little out of practice with releasing my ego in those ways. You know, I'm, I'm a military dude. I, I cling tenaciously to the reality that I can feel. And you know, of course, had a profound experience with both of them. Combo, um, I'm not sure, you know, how much you've, you've spoken about it on your program, but it's amazing, mm. amazing bioavailable frog medicine. And then into Dime, which, you know, we're using two di or maybe three dimensional language here, maybe at most, you know, we use dualistic language to try to explain the paradoxical nature of reality. Um, but yeah, profound. I, I, with Dime literally laid out. Um, gave me the foresight to know that my mother was going to pass in a few months and 
within two days after that, I approached her. We closed the loop on all our relationships. And then uh, three months later, she passed away. And it completely started to change how I viewed reality. Once again, you know, I, I was always into learning about it, but it, it completely opened up my spectrum. That's what it's supposed to do if done right. Right. Um, you know, so I, I sat with that though for about a year and a half before I revisited anything. Um, because sometimes the downloads be big, right. Um, fills up the USB stick. And I, I believe that until that next time it starts knocking, you got to look at it. You got to remove the patterns that don't serve you. You know, maybe some of them are habitual prisons. Uh, maybe they are ones that keep you from truly expanding your awareness and, and truly connecting, not just with yourself, but with others and the nature of the universe itself. Um, and then, yeah. And then went back for another visit down in Costa Rica with the team. And we have a great shaman there. Uh, she started off, <laughs> um, she forced us to call her, uh, what, you know, she served plant medicine. She was a medicine woman. Um, mm -hmm. but I've since graduated from that into calling her a shaman. Um, cause this year in February, um, so just like FYI for people listening, I was diagnosed with severe PTSD. So I've been looking for natural methods beyond just plant medicines, but to incorporate plant medicines in order to, you know, dissolve that ego that can block, um, in order to set the conditions to build new neuronal pathways, right? Um, ones that are based on my values, my systems of thinking that I've come to understand here. Anyhow, in February, we, we took the team down and we went again, um, again, kind of my yearly tune up with combo into Daime. And uh, once again, amazing. But then two days later, I uh, sat with Bufo and that's where I say she graduated in my eyes from being someone who serves plant medicine to someone that shows you God. And once that happened, um, the clarity of my path, not like the clarity of the intention of my path, but my life's work where my genetics, my epigenetics, my conditioning, my childhood, my adolescence, my whole life and skills started to overlap my soul's purpose. And I could build, oops, build up my life's work there. And in essence, it's, it's, it's about connection, which is just another fancy word for love. And love is just another fancy word for God when it's at its highest expressions. Right. Um, so yeah, that's segued into many things along the road. Hey, Hey everybody. I hope you're enjoying the show. I wanted to take a quick moment to let you all know that the doors are officially open for the conscious cannabis collective. And as such, this is the last week you can sign up and receive all of the bonuses we're currently including. This is the last time I will be personally onboarding those of you who sign up with a complimentary one-on-one -on -one session, and you'll have the ability to get the Grow With Cannabis course for free during this limited time. For more info on how you can take advantage of this offer, head down to the show notes for this episode and secure your spot today, as we only have so many spots left and they are filling up quickly. Now back to the show. Wow. 
What an amazing story, man. And, you know, it starts with this uh, common thread that I find on this show and also in my own life, which is rebellion, you know, seeing or feeling rather that something is just off of what we're being told. And I've come to realize this isn't what everyone goes through, but, you know, for the people that it does uh, dawn on, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's an unmistakable feeling and it's an irreversible type thought as well. Like for me, when I first got into cannabis uh, and I started realizing I had been lied to about what cannabis was, because here I was, you know, believing all the propaganda until I was 16 and first tried it. Well, the immediate thing dawned me. Yeah, exactly. And the immediate thing that dawned on me was what else have I been lied to about? And so, you know, that started an ever longing quest into these realms. And, you know, it's still ongoing to this day. I mean, you know, these days I'm very similar to you. There was a time period in my early 20s where I was hitting the button quite a bit. And, uh, you know, and it was, it was actually a really positive thing looking back in hindsight, because, you know, I was curious. And so I wanted to know how far this goes. And then there was one experience that shook me pretty good. And then I was like, okay, I found the edge. Right. And so, you know, you're big on riding the edges. And so I found that edge. And then I actually started getting into self-development and inner work. And then I expanded myself and was like, okay, let's go dive in now, but in a more ceremonial way. And so it sounds as though you went through a similar path with before you went into the military, then coming out and refining these things. And, you know, it's funny you mentioned Bufo because, uh, you know, I've interacted with that medicine twice and both times it humbled the absolute shit out of me. Uh, you know, and it was, it was the exact experience you described of meeting God, whatever someone listening wants to describe that as. And I love how you said connection, love God, because they really are all synonymous. If you think about it, you know, because at the end of the day, if we're all one, well, then, and the source is love of everything and the governing force of the universe, well, then it really just is like two plus two equals four. <laughs> yeah. Eyes. Yeah. Well, I, I'd like to think it really equals five and that's the nature of yes. reality. Yeah. The thing with Bufo <laughs> is it drops your sensory input enough. And I think this is my, I'm going to work backwards on some of the things you said here, Ryan, mm. is our bodies are antennas, right? The Atman that from Vedic training, you're, you're the Atman. You're, you're able to raise that consciousness of your body. And what it does is it tunes you to see differently, right? We see the mm -hmm. world in color because, you know, or, you know, people can only see in black and white, right? But there's an entire spectrum of things that we don't see and it helps us vibrate at that level. And once we can vibrate at that, you know, the, we could tune into the Akasha, we can get those downloads of wisdom. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'm a hedge your bets kind of guy. So even if it is just you know, sensory perception shuts down and in sensory perception, you know, new pathways are able to fire, or at least test. Um, I still think it's good and you use the word humbling and that's the key, right? People, the issue with some of the religions is it actually puts you at the center of the universe in their practices, even though there's a God over top, there's no way for you to not be the center of the universe and its teachings. And then people remove themselves even more from that. Um, with atheism and such and to everyone their own it's it's all your own journey it's just when you're the center of the universe that's that's the, that one that's a big expectation to live up to uh <laughs> but it's also i think you need the humility to go there um yeah you mentioned about opening pandora's box and uh <laughs> the act of trying to watch someone shove all that that newfound wisdom that newfound purpose back into a box because they're they're afraid right that's that's usually what it is we live in such a fear-based society that people are scared to express their soul. 
and you, and you mentioned it, you feel it, you feel it clawing its way out. You feel it saying, no, this isn't it. You feel it uh, enjoying the higher states of consciousness. And then it can become addicted to those um, and use it inappropriately. And that's, 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 I think why a lot of addiction does happen. People are trying to get out of wherever they are, right. They're in this constricted pattern that they want to leave. And uh, once again, you know, because ceremony is not really taught to us uh, and then not enough, I think education in school on, both ends of said moment, you know, like mm-hmm. I said earlier, life's not recursive. It's, it's, it's multidimensional. It's happening in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, it starts this beautiful tune up of, um, you mentioned rebellion, you know, just for people who I, I doubt someone listening to the show is going to be balking against this, but even just to connect with your right brain more, you know, Everything around us just about is designed to stifle our right brain. And it doesn't do it on purpose. It's just we use that as our survival mechanism. Uh, there was a great study done by a guy, um, McGilroy, um, and he works with the brain. And he worked with epileptic, epileptic people mainly because what they did is they did a surgery on the corpus callosum, which kind of separates the brain. It's what communicates the two sides, helps the two sides communicate. Um and to see that there's almost like these two dualities that are running at the same time, you know, and they manifest very differently. Uh, and the issue is we stifle the right one too much. Not everyone I'm using. We very generally, and but I know on a global scale, people stifle it like crazy. They stifle it because they're not even maybe able to get up there because they're in such a survival pattern that they're just staying limbic. You know, mm. uh, they're running on impulses. Um, and then other ones who can get out of there, you know, in the West, we can get out of there pretty easily. Uh, again, not everybody. Um, but once you start tasting that, it's like, oh, the, the master and the servant cease. And it's like, oh, it's all just the servant for me. Um, and that's before we even get into things like the Brahmin, everything outside of us that this beautiful spacesuit can tune into. Um, yeah. It's amazing, dude. You know, and I love that you brought up the right brain because I think, for a lot of people, they just don't know what they don't know. Like you were saying, they've been in this survival state for so long that they actually don't really comprehend this other part of the brain. And, and, you know, I think that's one of the things that specifically cannabis showed me right off the bat was like, Oh, I guess I didn't know what I didn't know. And even now that I think I know it, I probably still don't know it quite the paradox. Right. And I think that, you know, I think the right brain more is like, and this isn't uh, like a generalization, but like, it's more like poetry. It doesn't really make sense when you read it in a left brain state, but when you're in that state and you read poetry, you're like, ah, it just, it gives you this feeling. And so it doesn't need to make logical sense. Right. But like the right brain is very, very much that, right. It's like these, this experiential side of the brain that allows us to experience without trying to make sense of things. It's simply there to allow us to have the experience. And I think that's one of the coolest things about, you know, the right side of the brain. And I think that with regards to rebellion, how I might actually translate that now that I've had a second to sit with it is it it's this degree of sovereignty that's coming forth, right? Like instead of rebellion, it's actually just like going to whatever your version of truth is as a subjective experience of source. And so like, if that is like, well, I want to try plant medicines. Well, it's going to keep burning through you and you can try to numb it out. And many people might, but even when you were in the military, right, you might've thought like, ah, I don't know if I'm going to do it again. When you got out, something was able to reignite that was like, okay, I'll try it again. And so I think it's like some degree of sovereignty actually coming forth. And I think that if you're in the left brain all the time, you're working as a calculator, essentially, is how I call it. So like you're working as like, well, does this make logical sense? 
what even is logical sense to begin with. So that's a whole other rabbit hole. But I think that for a lot of people, they get themselves stuck into that left brain and they try to experience life through it. And that's like experiencing life as a calculator. <laughs> so it can be really challenging to do so. Yeah. Well, kind of working backwards, you know, trust. That's the issue right there, right? Is you and I weren't born into a world that we trusted. And that's mm. because our intuition was like, yeah, something's not right here. That's what's happening right now. That's what the, the, the suicide rates and all that. There's, there's a mistrust in the world. And some of that's religious trauma, which is some of the nastiest trauma there is. Uh, some mm. of that's epigenetic trauma, you know, passed on from mother to child. Um, and in that mistrust though, yeah, you know, you say sovereignty, I like to think of it as freedom, but it, you know, it's mm. totally semantics. Um, mm -hmm. but as you're constricting in, you know, as the world, as you move inwards and you push the world away, uh, you lose that, you lose your creative faculties. And if you don't have those, you're not going to feel free. And that's the issue is, you know, we already know in science, like a black hole is paradoxical in nature. That's how it creates. It's paradoxical. You go down to the quantum level, which, you know, they're both of them are kind of like, okay, a bit hyperbole a bit, you know, but they're both showing that it's like, oh shit, science is got to evolve to render complete nonlinear dynamics. And that's where it's funny right now to watch these people like dig in. No, you got to trust science. It's like, listen, every time we say you got to do something, it doesn't work out for humans. You know, it's like, um, I like to say, I don't know. And I don't believe in absolutes. One cancels out the other and it gives me this spot of, but it's not, it's not a place of, um, no integrity. And it's not like I'm scared to plant a flag in what I honor. It's just, I very carefully decide based on what I value and what I choose and what I feel to decide on those things. And, um, yeah, you know, you, you say about, uh, about poetry, it, it's so to me, the word poet is anyone who can express divine will. You know, I, I use those mm -hmm. kind of we're using it more probably for language here in this case, but that's exactly it. You can find it in so many places. And the more you tune up, the more you can detect that truth. And the more you detect that truth, the more you can follow your own truth, right? And the more you tend to your own garden, right? You won't let in the weeds as much. You're like, okay, no, no. you know, we use, we tend to use words like vibration and frequency a lot. Um, but I think it all goes into that. And it's, it's, People, if they, again, I don't think this is an issue on from with your listeners necessarily, um, but for those who are trapped, any feeling of trapped or constriction beyond. So I, I'm a big fan of the hero's journey, you know, Joseph Campbell stuff. Um, mm. I, a lot of my programs are absolutely based on not just going into adversity, but plunging yourself into the truly unknown. Because um, it's there that you will find something. You know, it's nice to go in with tools, you know, the right arrows, the right, you know, like tech, language tech, doesn't matter, right? Support, you know, the right group. You know, if you think Tolkien, Lord of the Ring characters, you know, you need you need your posse. Um, but yeah, you go into that and you do it on purpose. And that's, that's where you find the best edges of yourself. Now, we've kind of come into this, just do hard shit just to do hard shit, you know, get up at three, don't worry about REM sleep, just, just fucking go set the watch. And it's like, okay, well, you know, step back for a second. Yes. Adversity, you know, suffering and struggle. I'll say struggle to me. Suffering is when you become addicted to your fear-based patterns. When you hmm. 
are hooked on your non-coping mechanisms. Think an, an alcoholic, someone who uses escapism, Netflix, anything. It could be sexual escapism used in an unhealthy way. Um, they all have the option to be medicine. But of course, you know, human truth is always going to be both sides. And I think that's why little kiddos like us at 12 are like, okay, I better, I better get high here. <laughs> this is getting complicated because no <laughs> one's been able to explain it. You know, no one has the humility to be like, okay, we don't, we don't really know. You know, the universe is pretty, pretty vast. Uh, a lot going on. What are two things? Um, yeah. Anyways, I'm just kind of rambling there. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, I love this. This is perfect. This is exactly why I have this podcast because I love having dialogue. And I think that, you know, what came through to me when you were saying that is I forget who said it. I forget if it was Socrates or Plotinus or one of those philosophers, but, you know, wise is the man who knows he does not know. You know, and I think that's that degree of humility that you're speaking to, right? Is that like, you know, I think when I was young too, looking back in hindsight, I looked around and everyone was like, no, 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 we have this figured out. We know exactly what's going on. And I was like, it just felt off to me. I didn't know how to like view it at that age, except it just felt off. Looking back in hindsight of the version of me I am today, I would say I just smelled bullshit. You know, I smelled like, well, I know that every single thing I think I know gives me 10 more questions that then lead me further into what I do not know. And I think mm -hmm. this is one of the biggest thirst traps in society is thinking that to the degree you know things, that's going to lead to some positive outcome. And I think this is what, you know, kind of intellect has gone too far into is like, you know, you look at school, right? Like in college, it's all about knowing things, right? So what most people do, and we know about this, like they memorize, they cram, and then they get the A on the test, and then all that information leaves, and then they know things. But when they actually leave school, they have to go out and have these experiences, which is what internships and these kind of things are. And and if that wasn't valuable, they wouldn't put that part of, you know, have being an intern into school. So I think that like one of the challenges that I see a lot is people going out and reading a lot of books, doing all of this stuff, but doing it more from a left brain approach of like, I need to read this book so I can finish it. I need to start the next book so I can read two in a week, right? It's like, it's not really about like what you're going to retain, what you can integrate or why you're even choosing to read these books and what they mean to you, you know, ideologically, but they're more just like, uh, competition in the way, self-competition in a lot of ways. And I think that, you know, speaking to real quick on the science thing, I think that's one of the silliest statements of all time. Trust the science. What an oxymoron. Science is the process of not trusting things trusting. so much that you continue testing it until it breaks. <laughs> so I wanted yeah. to say that too. <laughs> no, no, it's absolutely true. But that's the, uh, the shackles that our systems create. You know, we, we make these systems to survive, uh, but we, have gotten ourselves in a little bit of a pickle here because um, we have those who are serving or are served by it in a certain way, but they're also in a survival mindset. I mean, do you really need billions in your bank account? You know, I, I don't know. Like maybe you do, but like at what point are you like, okay, I'm thriving. I should uh, get back here. I could be a real philanthropist, you know? Um, but then it goes, the next one is the schooling system um, where it doesn't teach you how to embody truth. You know, mm. you mentioned about reading a book and within most books, there isn't, you know, if I was like to put, I'm, when I say most, I mean, every inch of books, there's, there's only like maybe one or two things that are truth, you know, that deep will survive the test of time. Um, well thought out, well tested, well versed truth. Um, but to embody truth, you don't just read it and like, bam, I got it. That's not how it works. Right. 
it takes time. It takes time. And I think what happens is people you mentioned get into, you know, we call it self-help or whatever, the trap of chasing it because the farther you are away from the revelation. So most people who are in the self-help space had a, a mini, a micro, at least insight or revelation where their brain, their body, um, source, however you want to say it, um, gave them a new opening, you know, an insight. And people confuse these metrics of just chew through the book, go to the next one. That's cool. It's pretty cool. You know, I read two books a week. Okay. Well, what'd you learn from, uh, I know the author's name and the title. Um, and that's the thing, right? Persistence without insight is pointless. Um, but we're in such a just persist society right now. Um, I, I think it's, I don't think, I know it's changing. You know, it's changing. It's always changing. So it's a safe bet, but it's actually beginning to change. You know, we're pressing beautiful new stuff into the quantosphere that's helping mash out the, the stuff that's not serving humankind anymore in the same way. And it, it's just a matter of time. Um, you know, some people spit out dates and that's all good. And uh, hopefully they're right. What it's going to be. I think it's going to be amazing. I, I think of revelations. That's what I think of. I think a lot of people have misinterpreted revelations. I think they think it's doom and gloom and apocalypse. And what I think it is, yeah, we're going to change. We're going to open those seven seals of consciousness, you know, if they're, as if there were seven, um, but we're going to move into out of dualist because we, we've been expanding as we go, right? We, we, you know, there was one time we didn't even know what black was and then, wow, now there's black and then there's white and then there's black and white and there's gray and there's color. And we've moved through that spectrum, that dimensional thinking. And right now I think language is kind of holding us back from really pressing into, um, it, it's part of it, you know, don't get me wrong, um, that there is evolutionary language out there, language tech, right? And obviously, um, that is helping, but until we reinvent that wheel so that we can use words or communication, whatever it is, uh, on that next dimensional level, because, you know, we've already used the word paradoxical, but really, I can't really talk about the paradoxical because I don't have the dictionary for it yet, you know, and it's, it's not found in math, not found in physics, it's found all over. And we just got to kind of sit back, you know, like, what is it, Esperanto or whatever that made up language was that they were like, okay, this could be a perfect language. But again, good old fear, shame, guilt, apathy, non-coping mechanisms hold people. They cling to what's not really serving them because unless they can truly like look you in the eye with a little twinkle and say, I'm thriving, or at least I can be in states of thriving then they're only living an illusion that uh, that they're playing a part of too. You know, we're all playing a part in this. What is up, everybody? I hope you were all enjoying the show. And I wanted to stop by real quick and share a little bit about our latest podcast sponsor, Freedom Builders. Now, Freedom Builders are a team of graphic designers, website creators, videographers, social media marketing experts, and coaches that build out your custom online business from A to Z. This is a done-for-you service, which means they do the work for you while you get to put your focus back on what you love most, which is coaching your clients and bringing in sales. Now, as a former online fitness coach, 
Mike knows where your struggle points are and exactly how to help you overcome them. This is why he created Freedom Builders, so that you can scale your business while protecting your time and your energy. Now you guys know that delegation is a business superpower and you can activate this superpower today by scheduling a complimentary call with Mike at freedombuilders with a Z on the end.com so you can start building the freedom that allows you to take your business to the next level. Alex and I recently connected with Freedom Builders for our Connect with Cannabis build out and we could not have been happier with the results. With Mike and his team, they were able to go through an outline and create a personalized program for our experience, develop our brand identity, build and design a custom branded webpage, professionally edit our program video content, custom design all of our slide presentations, automate our email marketing sequences, create a seamless payment system for our offer, design unique infographics for our social media content, and guide us through our proven launch blueprint to generate organic leads through our social media. So if you're a coach, facilitator, or healer listening to this ad right now, and you are looking to put freedom back into your life, once again, go to freedombuilders, with a Z on the end, .com, and book your complimentary call today. I hope you all enjoy the rest of the show, and I'm wishing you the best day ever. You know, it's it really is the definition of survival versus thriving, you know, and I think that to go a little deeper and expand on it too, like the way I see it is, you know, it's almost like when you're clinging to something, there's, there's, there's a feeling you can feel with people like that. And why can I feel that? Because I've done that in my life, right? Cause you spot what you got. And so I think that a lot of the times, like, you know, the, the, the day is darkest before the dawn. Uh, you know, when you go to the gym and you do a hard workout, right? Like, you know, I think with the gym, we can kind of pull an analogy from that of like, if you actually think about what you're doing when you go to the gym, it's a pretty brutal process, right? You're tearing muscle fiber to build back stronger. Mm-hmm. And so I feel right now we're on one big swole sesh is going <laughs> pretty much, right? <laughs> Where we're like, we're bulking pretty much. And I think that as a world, a lot of people are not exactly sure what's going on. And then there are other people that know they don't really know what's going on. And that's the beauty of it. And so I think there's like those two sides where I don't know where this goes. I agree with you that I believe it's going to be very beautiful and amazing because that's what I choose to believe as a sovereign being and also an individual particle of the source. I think that, you know, COVID was a perfect example of this, right? Because there were people we've gone through it, right? There were people the whole time were like, this is the end. There's never going to be a normal again, blah, blah, blah. And here we are. And I don't know, I feel a pretty good normal. I went through that period and grew a lot and it was amazing. But again, that was a perfect example of how there is no objective reality. And quantum physics proved this a long time ago, but I feel as though that's a perfect example of how, you know, we all say things. And I won't say we all because that's binary, but a lot of us say things like, what did I learn in school? One of the things, well, if you don't learn history, Ryan, you're doomed to repeat it, right? But at the same time, those are the people that also are just saying that, but don't really actually know what that statement is because they're actually repeating the same history that they're saying not to repeat. And so there are all of these paradoxes going on. And I think that's one of the things that psychedelics just illuminated me from right, right away, even for myself and where I was in them. And I think that like, once you have that experience and you can surrender in and, you know, it's funny because, you know, you hear things that lose a couple people when you say, it, depending on who you're talking to, like we're moving into a feminine age, you know, and these kind of things. But if you think about what that could mean, at least for me, it's, it is surrender, right? It's not control. It's not domineering. It is more of that, like, you know, vacation vibration, you know, where like, Hey, you know what? Things happen. They're not objectively good or bad. They happen. Now, what can I do to learn from it and move forward? And also faith, 
I believe that to be a feminine quality of some sort too, because faith says, I don't know why I'm here potentially, right? Like, I don't know objectively why why I'm here. I can come up with my own reasons. I don't know objectively if I'm going to see my parents or my loved ones again when I leave, but I choose to believe so, right? So there's like this faith of like, I don't know, but I choose to have faith in what I choose to believe that makes my experience of life more great and grand. And I think that's the challenge is when I think about those things, those are synonymized with a more right brain state to me. And I think that for people that are living in the left brain state, they hear that and they cling on harder because they're like, I can't find common ground in any of that because they just don't even, they haven't had the direct experience of it. Yeah. I think that's one of the challenges of books is people read a lot, but they don't have the actual direct experience. Like you can read about what a hamburger tastes like. You can read about what's on it. You can read about what kind of bread they use. But eventually, if you really want to know what a hamburger is, you're just going to have to go eat one. Yeah. <laughs> that's, it, it, it kind of feeds, it, we, we, the left brain and also mostly fear-based models, what they're really good at doing is creating feedback loops. Like you mentioned reading, I was mentioning McIlroy. One of the things he learned was that the left side of our brain is growing and our right side is actually shrinking. Now, the brain's super plastic. It's not like, oh no, genetically we're changing. Right around the 1400s, so I'm gonna make, I made a, a thread tie there, but he said around the 1400s, our brain started to grow on the left side and not the right side. And that was the year, in those years, the 1400s when the printing press was invented. So the very act of reading, even though you're trying to expand, can actually contract you. You know, that's that's the nature of how the universe creates. Um, yeah, I think people get a little tripped out of it, tripped out about it because the right brain is, I, I like to think of it as chaos, but like, you know, chaos that we just can't see the consilience, the truth of it. And the left brain is all about order, right? And those very same people, this is this is what humility is, and this is what vulnerability is. Even just the way our brain works, you know, sound waves go into it. Uh, it goes up through your kind of more um, brainstem prim- primitive areas, but then it goes to the switching station in the thalamus, and it sends a loop back down and one up top. And if it doesn't reach anything up top, usually people just suppress it and say, no, I don't know, or that's not for me because I haven't experienced it. You know, they've shown that with music. Someone will listen to a song the first time. And it's like, ah, it's not for me. And then they listen to it again. And it's like, oh, I like that song. And then it becomes familiar um, in your processes, right? And that's why the unknown is so important because eventually that's what enlightenment is, is being able to move through the chaos because we're never going to order the universe. That's that's not going to happen. You know, one day the sun's going to explode. One day something is going to happen that we just don't have the the strength, the the linear processes to deal with. But if you learn to move through the chaos, um, you, you said surrender. That's, that's the key with the chaos, right? Chaos automatically implies death. That's how the brain, it's uh, terror management theory. Um, that's what we're actually scared of. You know, we're not scared of talking in public per se. It's we're scared that we'll be rejected and exiled and die. Um, and that's where, you know, John's seven seals to me, you know, when the seventh seal is open and I'm just using it kind of metaphorically, I don't mean it literally. Um, then you know where you're going. Then you finally see the stream of consciousness that you return to. Cause on one end you die physically and you return to that stream of consciousness. That's what low vibrational frequencies are. And I, you know, low or high, it doesn't really matter. High vibrational your ego dies and you return to that stream of consciousness. Eventually your body will die. If you just hung out there, (laughs) you know, the infinite corridor and such. Um, But with that, 
you expand it a little. The more you do that, you expand it. And that's where you'll stop frequency matching people, right? Low vibrational people will match with low vibrational people because it's comfort. It's group think. They understand. They think like me. They're reinforcing my patterns, even though to me, most people are always just tending on a kind of scale of conscious downwards um, as opposed to upwards and to death. And here's, here's what I think about all that. That's the most important thing. I believe in surrender, I moved from faith to knowing that that was it. When I embodied that truth, it was like, oh, I, I one, I could fully be me. You know, I, I, I was me because I knew, I knew where I would return to and I knew what I was doing. And it wasn't like I got a, a memo, <laughs> you know, it just all came together, but I had to get there by myself. I believe we can do this shit on purpose and help our children get there quicker. And in that, we're going to do what I believe is our job. And that is to expand the consciousness of the universe. We're a key player in that. That's why we bit the apple in the garden of Eden. No more blaming Eve. She was the one like, Hey man, we got to mix this up. You know, this, we got to see what's good, what's bad. Right. Um, but consciousness is expressing itself through us. I know that now. Um, and fuck man, once again, hedge my bets. It doesn't even matter. Why aren't we doing it on purpose? Why are we not trying to bring more love into the world? Why are we not trying to, with that, we'll travel the cosmos quicker instead of fighting each other. You know, we'll learn more about ourselves. We'll go inwards deeper. And what the hell can we do then is I think about it and I, uh, I love it. I love it. I mean, it's amazing, dude. You know, like talk about the hero's journey, you know, like, you know, for me, when I'm riding that high, either in a sober state or in an altered state, I mean, and I'm really feeling that, like that just vibrational high of just like being on the flow or, you know, if you want to call it a flow state, you know, uh, down regulation on purpose, whatever you want to call it. I imagine many people listening can understand what we're talking about when I say that, you know, for me, it all makes perfect sense there. And, you know, originally I only got there, I wouldn't say only, but the first ways I got there were through psychedelics. And then when I started actually integrating, I realized, oh, I can actually get here by following my heart, by following my soul and by actually doing the things that I want to do. And so it's so interesting that, you know, to go back to the college analogy, they're like, you know, people are like, well, make sure you do something safe that you can make a lot of money at, you know, and I think they come from good intentions. I don't think they're like, you know, maliciously saying that. But it just goes to show that, you know, I I read this uh, quote one time that I thought was really funny because I really do think that comedy is like laughter is the best medicine. I think that it's like a quick hack to get into a high vibrational state. And so the quote read, people who run the world have not done psychedelics. People who do psychedelics know why this is an issue. And I just thought it was one of the funniest things because whether it's psychedelics or whatever it is, right? Like, I think psychedelics can be that rocket ship that just shows you like, well, okay, I guess I didn't know what I didn't know. You know, like, I think those kind of things are important, you know, and I, I came up with, you know, I had a conversation with one of my friends one time and they were like, well, what do you think we do about politics? I'm like, well, you know, a quick way to at least make some type of change, make any politician who's trying to be in any realm of power, go through 10 ayahuasca sessions before they're able to take power. Oh, they don't want to do it. Well, then they're probably not fit to have power over people because they're probably going to misuse it. If they're not comfortable enough with relinquishing their ego and testing themselves and finding their edges and riding them, well, then they're probably not actually fit for power and they're probably not getting into it for the right purposes. And they, they might not know that, 
but that's like a good way for me. It's not a perfect way by any means, but that was like something I saw that was quite comedic, you know, quite comedic in nature, but also I was like, you know, that might have some legs to it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it, we've been replaying that sentiment for a while now in Plato's Republic. He talks about the guardians and the guardians are selected from birth and they go through trials and labors all the way into their thirties and all the way, they got to decide if they want to stay. And eventually at some point they're, they would in theory be put into the political system. Like one, what an honor Two, let's have a little humility, you know, but it's obvious. It's just hurt people, hurt people. And they'll repeat the patterns yes. of their patterns. That's, that's what a lot of people do, right? They don't know how to pick up the pen and rewrite the story. Um, laughter, man. So I was in the military and a lot of people don't know what irreverent humor is. You know, they use the word irreverent humor, but it's really not that. What it is, is you're just trying to find the humanity in a situation that is so far out of your scope. You know, instead of like breaking inwards and collapsing in like a dying star, um, you flood your body with those, those concoctions that like, like you said, help you feel better about what's going on. Um, but then you also get to test that reality with people, right? You joke, joke. Okay. Yep. And you start to build it in a different way. That's why comedians are so fucking smart, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to like keep talking left brain, right brain, but when you mentioned about in school, they did a cool experiment where they cut the corpus collapsing of some people and they asked the left brain what it wanted to be of like one person. And it was always like, uh, you know, data manager or whatever, you know, like really like left brain. And then they'd ask like the right brain. It's like race car driver, you know, like. Um, <laughs> gotta find, you gotta find that balance of it, you know? Uh, so, uh, yeah. So I'm a post-traumatic growth guy. Um, I was joking with Jess. I was, uh, uh you remember my big fat Greek wedding, the old grandpa, yes. he squirts Windex on everything. He's like, yeah, Windex, man. You got a problem. Windex, bad breath, Windex, you know, uh, for me, post-traumatic growth is like that. Oh, you got an issue. Okay. Post-traumatic growth. How do you do this? Right. Uh, and to navigate those cycles, you know, you use the gym analogy, whatnot. Um, but of staying, finding your alignment, right? Okay. I don't need psychedelics to be aligned. Um, but what it's about learning how to be metabolically, psychologically flexible. That's how you, that's why you got to find the edges, right? Um, the tree in the wind gets stronger. It doesn't get weaker until it goes too far, of course. Um, but what are the little things you can do? I know if I don't sleep, um, the last two nights I haven't slept well, it's a lot harder for me to be Zen than, uh, when I get good sleep, you know, uh, but I do believe every now and then I should test that sleeping. I should stay up. You know, I'm that kind of guy. I, I believe that you have to disrupt the cycles a little bit, um, to properly down regulate, to really down tune, uh, you know, we'll use the word nervous system, but your entire collection, you know, we're a crazy collection of stuff going on. It's pretty fucking miraculous actually you know that all these cells and all these atoms are firing i'm here i am doing a podcast with you like that's crazy man um so anyways but yeah that's what happens right the more you tune up the more you can tune up and then you also realize ah, that down tunes me um but that's also a slippery slope like now when i go to ikea or something it's like yeah i feel like a vampire in those fake lights and like all the like <laughs> what do they call that? The, uh, capitalism, like whatever, you know, the consumerism, not capitalism. Um, yeah, it, it gets a little tough on me. Uh, so I, I go into hermit <laughs> mode, but again, you know, uh, I digress. Well, you know, 
You know, what's really funny about that two things. So I'm an analogy, uh, fan, big fan of analogies. Some, for some reason, the universe, uh, God, whatever myself speaks to me in analogies. And so I jokingly say that between ice cream, the gym and race cars, I can pretty much describe any aspect of life or the universe just has happened so many times. And I'm like, well, now I choose to believe that. So with the race car analogy, right? It's like for people that are passionate about being highly optimized, let's say, right? Which is why I named my business that. So you could look at it with Paul Check as the four doctors. You could look at it, you know, as uh, spiritual, physical, emotional, mental, you know, union, whatever you want to call it. Think of it like a race car, right? Some people buy a Honda Civic. And they're just happy driving a Honda Civic and that's fine, right? Like they forget to do the oil for like 10,000 miles, you know, luckily they got a Honda, it'll run for a while. But then there are other people that might buy like a, you know, a Ferrari or something. And so like, they're like meticulously taking care of that thing. You know, they don't drive it on rainy days, right? Sometimes they go a little overboard, but like, there's like something different there, you know? And so I think that for a lot of us, we get excited. And sometimes I would say that we go too far into the left brain. We're like, Oh my God, we're nervous about everything. Like you were talking about Ikea every once in a while. Right. Like I like throwing myself into those disharmonious states just to see what will happen. Right. It's kind of like take the Ferrari out on the rainy day and just see how it handles around a corner. You know, that's part of the reason you bought the Ferrari, you know, Mm -hmm. to see how it would handle in rain. And so like, you know, it's interesting to look at it in that type of uh, respect, because I think for me, what I've realized is that when I'm treating my my car, right, my my being as a race car, I'm able to experience more in life. And if you think about what God wants, God wants us to experience as much as possible as this specific incarnation that is Ryan or that is Jeff, right? Like it wants us to experience that. And like the science of getting rich breaks this down too, where it's like, why wouldn't God or source want you to be rich? Because money, what it will do is allow you or can to experience more things. Right. And like you were saying, I don't know if you need billions, but like being, let's say a millionaire, right? Like you're going to be able to travel a lot. You're going to be able to take classes and learn things and work with great teachers. And so like, I think one of the things that I was, uh, I heard from, uh, I think it was Drew Banky, a guy that I interviewed recently, who's an ayahuasca arrow. He was saying that when he first met God during an ayahuasca experience, he said it was it was really funny because he said his ego clung on to the last moment. So he's out at Soul Quest in Orlando. He's like on the ground. Uh, he sees these lights coming towards him. And he's like, oh, my God. His ego tells him, oh, my God, someone got in their car. They're tripping balls and they're going to run you over. Right. So that's the first stuff. And he's like, well, it's not two lights. It's one light. Oh, my God. Somehow you ended up on a train track and you're going to get run over by this train. And he goes, fuck it. And just then the light hit him. And so when he met God and came back. What he realized was that source, what it's really curious about now is like, okay, I've experienced a lot of stuff as like humans forgetting they were God going down there and being humans. But now what I'm curious is for humans to come back and recognize they are God and then experience life as God, but still as their individual incarnation of source energy. And so it's really interesting when we think about this race car analogy, because I think that part of being the race car is tuning your instrument so that you can remember that, right? You can essentially, you can call it dying before you die. You can call it just realizing that everything is copacetic, right? However you want to look at it. I think that's kind of what we're tapping into here. And it's really fun because that's like, you know, when I'm in, when I'm tuning my instrument and when I'm able to experience such beautiful states of awareness, 
it's, it's just, I mean, it reminds me why I go to the gym, why I interact with psychedelics the way I do, why I do these things that are uncomfortable, why I work with coaches, why I do all this stuff. It all, it puts it all in perspective. And I think for a lot of people, they're missing that perspective of like what the goal is. They're just doing things to do it because they heard someone else say, do it. And I think that's what you're talking about with like the 3am thing. Okay. Mm -hmm. You just got to do hard shit. All right. I'm just going to do a bunch of hard shit, but why, like, why are you doing it? I don't know. Someone said do hard shit. So I'm doing hard shit. And that's, I think when the breakdown can happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what happens is, uh, people try to jam the square in the circle hole too long. And, uh, even if the edges wear out, you know, it's still mostly a square in a circle hole. Uh, and mm-hmm. that's what happens if you don't tune in, if you just fall into whatever the system is, whether it's another human being or not. Um, yeah, I, I think of it as, uh, cultivating hope. Um, so travel is a word from the Bible, you know, it means to go through hard stuff. And when you go through hard stuff, not only do you get the elixir and you can bring back more love to your community. That's the ideal. Like, you know, it starts off small as our little junior hero. You're, you're, you're just learning to pick your nose and that's pretty challenging, you know, and then you're learning to crawl over and push boundaries. But as a, as an adult, you start to do that on purpose and you cultivate, some people might call it an attitude, an attitude, not like a bad attitude, but your attitude towards life where you're almost like a homunculus taking a back seat working through the meat sack, you know, you're not a victim to your emotions, you know, you're able to control your projections actually properly. Um, but I think that's the point you cultivate that hope on purpose. Now I wonder sometimes, cause I believe when a child comes out, they're pretty much pure undifferentiated consciousness. You know, they're very close to source at that time. And then we spend a lifetime giving them time, space coordinates. This is that you are this, that is that right. And, and you move for farther and farther away from that undifferentiated consciousness, that source. Uh, and then some people are like, okay, well, I gotta, I gotta figure this out. Right. Um, cause otherwise I, I'm going to, my drug addiction is going to burn me out. Work's going to burn me out. I'm not happy in this relationship or these relationships. And it's just, it's burning the fat off your soul, you know? Um, I like to think you, you mentioned parables. Um, two things pop into mind. Our program, the process has been described as living in a parable. So when people think parables, it, you're absolutely right. You know, you, you mentioned poetry, like the actual written poetry, something that can unlock different parts and help you connect, you know, grab those horses, those divine winds, you know, like those, that motion. Um, but there are other ways to live out parables in man-made arenas, right? Cause I, I believe our systems, can also be the next thing too. It just depends on the carrier wave of where it's coming from. If I project only from fear and I'm building AI, what's well, going to get in there? You know, you know, Steve Jobs was a control freak. Apple is a controlling product in a lot of ways. And maybe they're not doing it on purpose. It's just you can't help but inject that wave into what you do. So that's where I think if we can tune it up, then yeah, hey man, what what can we do with AI? What can we do? Um, you know, projecting our consciousness with a laser beam out into space to explore it. You know, whatever. It, like, um, but one of the analogies you mentioned about the ayahuasca, because um, for those who have been there, they totally understand what you're saying. And I like to think in uh, Christopher Nolan's movie Inception, the scene where him and his wife are on the train track, and it's like you're on a. I don't I don't know the whole thing, but you're on a you're on a train. You know, you don't know where it's going to take you but it doesn't matter because we'll be together. And that's the whole point Mm -hmm. of it. If you understand that that leap can bring 
you back to wholeness inwards, outwards with other and, and to source, um, who wouldn't want to begin that experimentation with this, you know, um, at the moment we're creating a program for veterans specifically, specifically with cannabis called citizen green. Mm. Um, and I, eventually it'll involve more plant medicines, but right now that's, that's all legal and the systems are in play in Canada, uh, to do that. And that's part of it is there's nobody more stubborn than someone from the military. You know, you're, you're literally trained to be stubborn. You know, basic training, all that. You're literally molded and shaped. You know, it doesn't even matter what element you're in. You're meant to be stubborn. You're meant to be in a uniform. You're meant to follow the mission. You're meant to do your job. Um, so, you know, I know it's the same down in the States, um, but, but for um, which we are actually going to be expanding down into the U.S. And I would imagine you and I are going to talk about that one day. Um, yeah, I'd love to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it, you know, there's not too many people who have your craft. That's that's the truth of the matter. Um, it's, it's, it's rare. So what we're doing, Ryan, is we're, um, partnering with a blockchain research group, uh, a medical cannabis grower and indirectly with veterans affairs. And then our company is going to create courses on how to holistically transition yourself from the military, but also down to down regulate to avoid PTSD kicking in. Um, or if it's already an issue, um, down tuning that and rebuilding your whole body, mind, and soul, um, holistically using medical cannabis. And then what we're going to do is they're going to attest and all that information is going to go on the blockchain and through algorithms, we're going to build up, you know, if I have, we'll just say temporal damage, left temporal lobe damage, which tends to make people a little bit more angry. Okay. Uh, and usually in conjunction with that is a down regulation of your prefrontal cortex on the left side. So some of your executive functions now with the brain, it's always ish, but let's just say that's where you're at. That manifests as someone who has PTSD, which is a big statement that covers a lot of things, physiological and psychological. Um, and you get prescribed weed. Well, here's three grams a day. Okay. How do I smoke it? What am I smoking? You know, I don't know. You know, like, not even like there's instructions on a shampoo bottle, but this stuff doesn't have its instructions, you know, cause, cause in fairness, we're revisiting what it's full potential can do. You know, you got, you got the Vanguard like yourself. Um, and anyways, that all that data will be fed back in and it'll be like, okay, well, if you have these symptoms, you know, smoke a sativa at this time and in about this much based on your body weight, like it'll be all sorted out. So it's kind of cool. Cause these vets will have this secondary purpose, which is helping themselves, but helping other vets. So we build up this data and the real beauty of it is all covered. Um, so the only thing we got to diffuse is their ego saying, oh, there's nothing wrong with me. You know, um, I have a friend, Dr. Anderson Todd, and he says, you know, nobody gets out of the parking lot without a few dents. That's just the nature of reality. You know, human beings are just beginning to understand our brains. We're just really beginning to understand the cosmos um, and how we fit into that. Uh, and the more we do that, yeah, the quicker we'll get our kids towards enlightenment. You know, obviously you don't want them right deep in enlightenment. They may never come back, um, you know, right back to source, but, but we're, we're getting better at it. And uh, I, I see this is that marrying of, you know, blockchains, usually it's made to house cryptocurrencies, but here we go. We can take this and we can use it to create this beautiful new system. Um, in this case called citizen green 
And, you know, it, it, you know how it is with marijuana. You got appetite issues. You got pain issues. It's like, holy, wow. You know, we've denied ourselves this really beautiful catch-all for so long, you know. Um, my, my favorite thing uh, with uh, medical cannabis is I do a full moon release ceremony once a month. I, mm -hmm. I go out, I make a fire wherever I am, if I'm down in the desert or if I'm up here um, or wherever I, I, I may not have the ability to make a fire. <laughs> you know, I might be in a hotel somewhere. <laughs> um, and light a big lighter. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but th the ceremony is important. You know, the tradition of it is important, you know, and then mm. figure out kind of, for me, the way my emotional curve is, it's usually about a month long. So I have this, gift and curse of not being able to process my emotions on for a while. And, and, you know, most people it's like that. Some people can process them quicker, but anyways, I, uh, yeah, at least that once a month and it doesn't take much and man, oh man, um, the more you practice train with all plant medicines, the more you practice with altering the wavelengths of your brain, you know, Delta gamma, beta alpha, it doesn't matter. You know, we, some people call that meditation or contemplation or concentrations for me, like one hit and I'm back sitting at the intensity of a full macro dose of dime, you know, um, because my body is used to vibrating in that stage now. So it doesn't, um, need as much to get back there. Even just um, short meditations now, right? It's because of the practice. It's, 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 you know, it's, it's nothing heroic or anything. Well, although I, I do believe we kind of, the hero has courage to step into the unknown, whatever that is, big or small, but that's the hero to say, mm -hmm. okay, I'm going to do this differently. I'm going to look at this differently. I'm going to try this differently. You know, I love that, man, because I mean, there's so much I love in there. You know, it's really amazing to hear other people doing stuff with cannabis. You know, there's like, there's three other players. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of players, but there's three other people that have been doing this for a while that I've been connecting with. One is Stephen Gray, who wrote Cannabis and Spirituality. That book changed my life uh, because when I had read that, I had already made Connect with Cannabis. And so here I was, you know, naively thinking I was alone in the way I thought about cannabis this way. And then I read this book and I'm like, this, this dude literally took this out of my mind. I feel like he's speaking the same way I am. So I'm like, so cool. So I got the opportunity to interview him recently. And then Daniel McQueen, he's doing medicinal mindfulness out in Boulder, Colorado. Mm -hmm. I had a crazy synchronicity with him where a friend of mine who grew up a couple streets over the, uh, from me, uh, once I went on Aubrey show, she reached out to me and she was like, oh my God, like you're doing all this cannabis stuff. It's so cool. Have you ever heard about this uh, program called Medicinal Mindfulness? I just moved to Boulder to do it. Have you ever read Psychedelic Cannabis? I'm like, are you kidding me? Yes, I have. And then uh, my dear friend, this guy I connected with recently that I just, I mean, we got bunk bed status right away, which is Hamilton Southern. <laughs> Did we Southern. just become best friends? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Hamilton Southern, you know, and He's an ayahuascaro has been trained in the Amazon for 20 plus years, runs Blue Morpho in Peru. And um, I actually had him in the ceremony circle last night, which is our free Facebook group. We do weekly calls in. And he was speaking about how he became reintroduced to cannabis. And he said that he was, you know, in the Amazon, he said, you know, a lot of them don't interact with cannabis. Some of them do. He goes, it depends on what tribe you're around. But he said, you know, he hadn't tried cannabis since college. And here he was, you know, uh, training to be an ayahuascaro. 
and he had, uh, I believe it was nerve pain. And someone goes, oh, you should try cannabis. And he goes, what? Why? And they're like, just try it. And so he tries it now having tuned his instrument a lot, right? Because like you were saying, right? Like you're able to get to this point now with cannabis that makes you feel like when you're on dimey, right? Because you've tuned your instrument to this certain level. So now he had taken the spray for a while, comes back to cannabis and is like, oh, holy shit. I feel like I'm on ayahuasca right now. Like this is wild. And so then he was like, how far can I go with this? So he goes on the first night I tried it again, I just went full blown into it. I tried smoking as much as I could just to see like, what can happen here? And what he realized was that he didn't need a lot to get very far. And that he goes, you know, let's be honest in the jungle, we deal with non-lethal and lethal plants. And for the lethal ones, there's a big list of rules that are necessary to make sure you don't die when you interact with them. But he goes, the great thing about cannabis as you know, I'm careful to call this, but an introductory psychedelic for most people that aren't aware of this world is that you can't die from it. So long as you don't do something crazy and think you can fly, which I've never met anyone that could do that or that thought that, but it is in the realm of possibility, I guess, in the vast realm of infinity. But I think that, you know, cannabis can meet a lot of people where they're at, you know, and uh, there was another guy in the call, this guy drew, who was talking about how what he learned is that to the degree that a plant grows taller, is a degree to like how often it can be consumed. So like cannabis, especially cannabis sativa grows very tall. And so this is just in his tradition. He asked Hamilton about it. Hamilton was like, Oh, I hadn't heard that, but this is more of a North America thing. I think from the native, native American church, they were saying like peyote is meant to be done like once a year. Cause it's like really near the ground. Ayahuasca, same thing, you know? So it's very interesting to speak about this because you know, what I found cannabis to be as a tool is a tool to optimize your life. Now, that's a vague statement because your life has many moving parts to it. But the great thing about cannabis is that, you know, people are like, oh, it's not a panacea. And I'm like, well, it really can be because the missing component is intention, right? Most people don't know cannabis can work in XYZ type way, spiritually, physically, emotionally, mentally, because they've never made the intention to go into the plant like that. And I think one of the biggest challenges, and you can call it a thirst trap if you want, of cannabis is that. You know, people think that the plants just going to do the work for them. And, you know, we can look at it like the plants feminine, whatever. But our end of the bargain is knowing why we're sitting with it and what we're looking to get from it and then surrendering as to how those things come forth. But I think that's the missing component for a lot of people is that when you don't make an intention consciously, it's not like no intention is made. It's whatever your unconscious is rifling around with is going to get put onto the plant. So what happens is some people end up numbing out. Some people know it is just a thing they use to watch movies. Some people get paranoid and never want to do it again. But those things are not because of the plant. You know, I made a post yesterday about how I don't believe cannabis is addictive. And I had someone on there, you know, very left brain. Well, you know, this is the textbook definition of addiction. And I'm like, cool. Does that empower you thinking that something is inherently addictive and there's nothing you can do about it? Let's also think about this, right? If cannabis was objectively addictive, then every single person that ever touched it would be full blown addicted to it. But we know that's not the case. So what is that left with? Well, what is cannabis? What can cannabis bring forth? Cannabis can bring forth feelings of comfort, which are very addictive to someone living in discomfort. But it just so happens that those people found cannabis instead of sweets, instead of too much exercise, instead of alcohol, instead of whatever it was. It's not the substance. And the more that we look at that that way, the more we just externalize our power, you know, yeah. because if we stop going into cannabis, oh, cannabis is addictive. Well, you're just going to replace it with something else until you actually figure out why you got addicted to the feelings of comfort it brought forth, you know? So it's a, it's a catch 22. <laughs> yeah. Well, even like this gentleman, I'm not saying right or wrong. P 
people get addicted to their security patterns and a security pattern dick like says, Nope, this is this. And it's like, there is absolutely nothing, nothing that can't be over consumed. You know, mm. it's just like that. Now, of course there's some things I'm not going to chew on a nugget of depleted uranium. You know, there's some things we just don't put in there. Um, it's, it's, it's funny that people still fight against it. Um, so for me, like it's, it's been a little bit more hand in hand because I practice under shamans from the church of Santo Daime out of Brazil mm. and Santa Maria, which is, um, their cannabis is, is part of ceremony. Um, sometimes I, I actually don't even indulge in it cause it's just too much, um, too quick. Um, <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned intention. It, one, I, I, I think I would make the correction and most people don't know how to break those patterns. Um, like you were saying, um, but using the cannabis for high entropy, which just means high probability, which is you introducing a little bit of chaos, um, beyond and, and by chaos, I, even if it's just your neural peptides are sh shifted a little bit, you know, just shaken up a bit, that's where you have the chance to change that story. And really cool thing with the doc is like story, the concept of story and how embedded, it's not just words we exchange, it's quantum energy that we exchange and it goes in and it comes out and important to be listening to the right carrier wave, of course, um, beyond just the words. But when we were filming the doc, we interviewed epigeneticists and how just your internal story, which is usually scribbled down through words, right? We, we try to express our emotions, our thoughts through words, even internally, um, until practicing how to visually do that more. Some people call that like a feminine abstract artistic approach, which is completely sure. We can call it feminine masculine. Um, but it's, it's, it's just a different way of thinking and, uh, how quickly you can shift your epigenetics. So just like quickly epigenetics, you have your DNA, your DNA is in a ball within the nuclei and epigenetics can be their pressures from your external and internal as human beings, we can pressure from the inside um, to constrict the DNA, which changes the way certain genes fire, but also there's methylation processes. So the way we're absorbing stimuli changes how certain genes methylate. And when that happens, certain proteins will be turned on and off. Now, those can be stored as pain. So even if cannabis doesn't take away your shoulder pain, it could take away the story that the kind of somatic response has created. And that's why it's good to introduce entropy. Like it doesn't necessarily have to have that whatever paralytic effect, whatever the pain numbing agent is, although it, it certainly does. Um, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Can't get this thought. You mentioned about the plants growing and I, I think of people as, you know, we're as a function of the universe, we grow, everything tends to grow. Planets grow in size. The black holes are growing. Everything grows. It's just, it might dissolve. Um, but I got nothing there. I was just thinking about like the more you grow spiritually, the more you can revisit these things, you know, you can repeat these patterns. Um, I'll, I'll work on that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I think Mark England is a unit in being able to use the most simplistic words to describe things like this. And he said something to me that like, if some, yeah, he's just, I mean, he's a gangster with that, but like, 
you know, if someone heard this and they didn't almost have the key for it, because that's a, I think that's kind of what we're touching on here is like the reason you can revisit things and understand them to different depths or different understandings is because in some way, shape or form, we could describe that as having a key that you didn't have before. It's almost like, you know, if you're playing Pokemon or something, right. And you're not at a certain level, you're not going to be able to get to a certain gate because you don't have the key yet, right. The key being either an actual key or a level or a badge or something like that. Right. And so like for him, he said, there's levels to this shit. Now, like the most basic statement ever, but that thing is rippled through my head for the last two and a half years since he said it, especially in psychedelic states. We're like, you know, I think that one of the beautiful things that psychedelics have taught me is the simplistic nature that can be attained and how freeing simplicity really is. But it's a paradox, right? To go back to paradoxical things, because we're all so intellectually, quote unquote, smart, that simplicity is actually hard. And complex feels easy, you know? So it's like almost been reversed in a lot of ways. But I think that, you know, with the idea of plants growing taller and us growing taller in terms of spirit and things like that, I think that's like my best educated guess on, you know, I think this theory we're working on here that I think that as you continue to have experience, because, you know, I think that experience, like direct experience alone can be spiritual, right? Especially if you're putting the intention to do that. But even like, traveling, all these things, you know, like, you know, if someone has grown up in one town and they've stayed there their entire life and then they go to a different country and they come back, they're a different person, you know, like they're, they're maybe not a different person, but they're a deeper or different level of who they were before, you know, cause they have more life experience. And so I think that as we continue to gain this experience and potentially even as cannabis grows, right. And it grows from a little seed to a vegetative state, to the flowering state, and then it's budding. Who knows? Maybe it's taking in information as well. I really believe it is because one of the things I do is I grow biogeometry. So I'm growing with all these different frequencies in there. And the final product is much different than before I did that. So like, who knows, like, if you were able to take a cannabis plant while it was growing and drive it across the country while it was growing, I'm curious to see if there would be a different feeling in that end product because it had the experience of being driven across the country, interacting with different people, maybe being touched by different people's hands. I mean, I imagine it could be very synonymous to the same idea that humans go through when they travel and have life experience. Yeah. Like I, I think in fairness to the cannabis uh, analogy of traveling, um, you know, it'll interact with different angles of sun. Um, so mm. there'll be also adverse effects, but that adversity also is the potential for strength, for growth, for change. Right. Mm. Um, you mentioned experience. I think experience is the wormhole to growth is a wormhole to growth. Um, especially if, like you said, you have that key, the key is, is to remove implicit bias. You know, we already talked about conditioning a bit. Um, scientists like to use the word implicit bias. That's the, oh, this is, I think I know, I think I know you know, those loops that people feed into. Um, and as you said, as you tend towards a more simplified life. Um, so I, I use the word complexity. I think the universe is tending towards complexity. That's what, that's what we're mm-hmm. here to be a part of. We're here to help make consciousness more complex. I use the word convolution. You know, humans tend to convolute things and we do, we feel very comfortable in convoluted situations for some reason. Um, but yeah, that simplicity uh, that key is how you can begin to undo things like addictive patterns. It's how you can, uh, for me, the analogy of the growing plant is more about your scale of consciousness, expanding your consciousness, your awareness, your emotional regulation, your ability to have empathy and to respond 
um, with projections that aren't necessarily, but they can be, you know, from a limbic place, from an impulse place. Um, obviously, you know, simple, um, kind of example of, I think of impulse control and regulation, um, emotional or limbic control and regulation, and then thought control and regulation. They're all three of them have to be, you have to understand them, right? And when someone does a fast, they very quickly learn like, holy fuck, my food impulse runs all the time. You know, we're, we're you know, the, our breath impulse, all that, our sexual impulses. But then you learn to tune in and go into other areas beyond insight, you know, into breakthroughs, which are kind of the limbic area where you're like, you're able to put space on those emotions. And that's another beautiful place that adding in a psychedelic can really help. You know, it's, you can maybe for the first time visualize an emotion, you know, like a visual experience of your own emotion. And you're like, Oh, okay. I get that. You know, instead of, yeah, it's most people, most people on the planet, how you doing? They'll say something like, Oh, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm okay. And inside they're like a nervous wreck. They're stressed about everything, you know, and it's, what happens is they become addicted to that pattern, right? They're, anytime you play out a pattern, that's an addiction. And we usually use the word addiction to describe one that doesn't serve you. Mm. I would argue that at a certain point, any pattern that you repeat all the time won't serve you. Uh, an example, when I was in the military, we were taught to do box breathing, you know, to control your stress. Um, well, you know, a few tours later, when I tried to control my breath patterns, it automatically brought me back to combat level stress. So it worked mm -hmm. against me, you know, and again, nothing against breath patterning. It's super important, uh, all that. But the idea is to learn those uh, up the chain, right? Like, like I mentioned, like sex, food, thermodynamic regulations, those ones, those impulse level ones are very obvious to us. Emotional ones become a little bit more tricky because um, they're very fast, not quite as fast, uh, but they're more complex. And we don't have great language to express that. But then that brings me up to the top level, you know, thought control and regulation, um, which feeds back into the system. Attention modulates your perception, shapes your thoughts, and that can feed back in. And the issue is, right, it constricts down usually in people. They don't usually learn how to go the other way or both ways. And that's what I was getting at is that simplicity. Right now we're absorbing billions of bits and bytes of information. And most of it is not really important, right? Uh, I don't need to know that my toenails are growing right now. I don't need to know, you know, what's going on over there. I'm in a safe environment, but as you add that simplicity where it can modulate towards changes, and that's where I believe it's turns into complexity where you can turn in, tune into those frequencies more and more. And um, yeah, sometimes it means you're actually doing less. Sometimes you're making less motions. You know, if we look at most of what we call the most complex people, you know, collectively, you know, give or take, most of them didn't work nine to five, you know, dogmatically working on one thing. They had moments of doing that, but their movements, their thoughts, their, their level of consciousness allowed them to make moves that change things in a greater way. Right. Um, now great and good are not always hand in hand, you know, lots of people on their way to greatness, forget about being good with a capital G. Um, but that's another discussion. Hmm. I mean, you're a hundred percent right with regards to what I've experienced as well. 
you know, I think that the typical nine to five is kind of about, you know, as I see it working because it's between nine and five. And when nine and five are done, it's like, well, what do I do now? And then it just becomes like whatever's on autopilot, whatever in your language too, like whatever the addiction is in that moment, you know, Netflix, food, uh, going out for drinks, whatever. And none of those things are inherently bad, right? I'm not here to judge anyone on it, but it's just whatever pattern you're in. I've lived that before, so I can understand it. But I think that when I got into business and started running my own business, you know, we do these things called two week sprints where we'll take, uh, usually we'll interact with cannabis. We'll get a really nice big picture of like everything we're really excited about. Like, Oh, we're creating the grow program. Ooh, we're going to break connect with cannabis into two levels. Oh, we're going to make a paid membership. Ooh, we're going to do a documentary series. I want to have a full on, you know, recreational dispensary. Cause I think recreational puts a weird, uh, connotation onto cannabis, you know? And I think that we can take that and we can change it and we can empower it by putting a hyphen in between being creational. And so like, I have all these ideas as I call them. Right. But then it's like, well, what first, what order, how do I do it? Right. So then when we're in that state, we tune into our hearts and we actually go, okay, you know, what's coming forth first. Like we see all these cool things. Awesome. But what's coming forth first. Okay. Like right now, this is a real example. Okay. Right now it's the grow program, right? I just finished making it all in the last two weeks print. Now it's recording it all. Then it's going to be putting it in order and then putting it live by Halloween. Then it's going to be splitting connect with cannabis into two levels, right? Cause we've found that we have two ideal clients, one who just wants to actually, uh, you know, fix their relationship with cannabis and you learn to use it as a tool to optimize their life. Another one who wants to do that same thing, but for those they serve, right? As a coach, facilitator, guide, et cetera. So like, this idea that, you know, some days I'm not working at all because I'm tuning in and realizing, Hey, I need some space today. Some days I'm working 12 hour days because that's what feels good to me, but I'm going on this, uh, different basis. And we could go back to the left and right brain again and say it that way, but I'm going on this basis of like kind of how the lion sleeps 20 hours a day because it knows it will get the kill in four hours, right? It's not out there pacing being like, I need to make sure I get it by noon. And if I don't get it by noon, oh my God, what's that mean? Checking its, it's lion just like, watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, watch, you know, it's just like, it's tuning into the moment and going, now's the time to go hunt. Now's the time to sleep, you know? And so I think that for all of us, we have that type of awareness, but a lot of us just aren't aware of it. You know, and I think that the more that we subtract from the equation of ourselves, the more we can naturally come into that. But again, it's another paradox because what have we learned? More equals better, right? So you need more money. You need more houses. You need more stuff. You need uh, to work more, right? You need all this stuff. So actually telling people like by doing less, you're going to end up becoming more. Now, what that becoming is, it might not be what you thought it was going to be when you were doing a lot. Maybe you thought you wanted a lot of money and all these things, but you actually realize, oh, I'm actually fine just having the right people around me in a place to, you know, have shelter over my head. So like a lot of those things, they, they come, they, they come apart as you start subtracting. And I think that's also what scares people to a certain degree as well. And, um, there was one more thing I was going to say too. Uh, I think it left. We'll see if it comes back into the second. Yeah. Well, you know what? It's okay because <laughs> ideas, I believe they just get put into the morphogenic field. They just go out there anyways. Right. Yes. So as long as people are putting good ideas out there, they'll be scooped up. Um, if not by you, by someone else. Um, I really like the, the reframe on cannabis recreational to recreational. That is, mm. that is, that is a good one. Um, yeah, it's always like just a perspective away, right? Um, like with the more is less. A hyphen away. A hyphen away. Yeah. What, it's crazy. Oh my God. Wow. One hyphen. Look at that thing. Um, but on that, like, you know, in this case, we were talking about abundance, right? And I, I, I gave a talk and I had an image of a field of sunflower, sunflowers. 
Mm. You know, big old field, beautiful sunflowers. And a lot of people think, oh, that's abundance, right? But really the real thing is when you look at just the one flower and it's like, you know, heaven and a wildflower, right? That's abundance. And, but they're, they're both, they go together, right? We just need to, you know, source out a little bit more of what one feels like and how to get there. Like, you know, to feel satiated, to feel complete, to feel whole, uh, when our hormones are in flux, when reality is in flux. So you, you said something about most people. And, and here's the thing. This is what I believe. You know, I said the, the phrase already hurt people, hurt people. And it doesn't mean that you've gone through you know, like a molestation level trauma or something like that, but we all have a little something. And that's where anybody listening that isn't doing some kind of work, whatever that is, you know, you're, I'm going to point a finger a little bit, you know, a little bit of a finger because you're impacting around you negatively. Cause unless you've sorted those patterns out, you are just going to move through the waters, um, unsmoothly. Um, Cause yeah, man, oh man, people talk themselves out of it and they think that they're, they're moving through time and space and perfection. And I'm not saying I am, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I realize I'm not. And, you know, it takes a great deal of vulnerability to say, oh, fuck, oh, Jeff, you fucked up, you know, oh, to say you're sorry. Oh man. And then even more to try to release those patterns, you know? Um, and it, it's like, it's not always about just doing the struggle, you know, you, you have fun with it too. You got to, play out the patterns that also serve you. You mentioned that about history, right? If we just remember history, we're just going to play out those patterns. We also have to play into the future, you know? Um, yeah. Interesting stuff, Ryan. It's, it's amazing, you know, and what came up for me when you were talking about, you know, if you're not doing some type of work, right, you're probably casting your hurt onto other people and you might not even be aware you're hurt right and for many people listening you might be like oh i didn't go through any trauma well like an example of trauma is not getting your bottle quick enough when you were a baby right like things that you just would not even comprehend or even remember right i think a lot of people think of trauma as capital t trauma like these big molestation type things or like ptsd you saw people die things like that but there's a lowercase t trauma too which are like micro traumas and like you were saying before, I think uh, the analogy was like no one, you know, gets unscathed, right? No one leaves the Garden of Earth unscathed or something along those lines. And I think that, you know, understanding that and understanding like flipping the script on and then realizing like, oh, that's actually part of the hero's journey. Because as I heal things for me ancestrally, I'm also healing them for my entire lineage. And I'm also healing them forwards, too. So I'm not going to pass those things on now. Is it ever, are you ever going to get to the point where you're fully 100% healed? I don't know. I have no idea. I, d I don't believe so because I don't know what that would leave. I mean, maybe if you're a Jesus Christ level, but even then, I don't know. I really don't know. But what I do know is that we can all do our best. And if we do do our best in working through these things that are our micro traumas or our capital T traumas, we're going to end up better as a result. And what better is, again, it's subjective, right? Like for one person, it might be more loving. Another person might be like, you know, creating a business that helps save the world or whatever. Right. But whatever that better is, that is, I feel the real hero's journey, right? Like loving yourself so much that you're willing to throw yourself a little bit into the fire. And this is one of the things that I love cannabis for, because I'll notice that if I get in an argument with Rachel, I will not want to interact with cannabis. Say if it's a Friday, because I usually only interact on weekends. You know, if we get into an argument, I'll be like, no don't smoke cannabis because I know the second I do, I'm going to be like, ah, oh, fuck, this is what I brought to that equation. And that ego wants to me to think it was all her. There's nothing. You're fine. 
Don't even look into it. Totally cool. <laughs> Nothing to look at here. Nothing to see. But as soon as I interact on cannabis, I'm like, hey, uh, yeah, there might have been some challenges on your part, but this is what I brought to that challenge. And I apologize for that. You know, and so like, it's really interesting, you know, because like in those moments, it's not only it, it's, it doesn't even it only feels hard when I'm trying to to when I'm trying to not admit my side of it. And maybe it's out of my awareness. And I really do think it was just her or just X, Y, Z person or whatever. But I think that, you know, if we choose to believe like I do, that everyone is doing the best with the information they have available. Well, then at the end of the day, you know, I choose not to take things personally. I just see what you were saying, right? Like hurt people hurt people and they don't know probably what they don't know until they actually do some inner investigation. And I think that if we can do that and just be in humility and realize that we're not going to know it all and that's okay, that's not what we're here to do. We're here to be curious observers and go test things out and be button pushers and see what happens when we hit different buttons and put them together, then I think we'll be able to give ourselves a little more grace and therefore project that out to the world. And that is the version of the world, at least one part of it, that I am manifesting and bringing in because I know that's when I feel the best, when I can give myself grace, when I can like, essentially do exactly what I would do for a child, right? If a child falls down and skins its knee, you run over to her, you're like, ah, oh, you'll be okay. No worries. Oh, that stinks. You know, blah, blah, blah. And then you're smiling, you're happy. And if you're happy and you're not freaking out, the toddler doesn't freak out, you know? And so I think that's a big part of it for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Doing the right thing for the right reason at the right time in the right quantity. Uh, and yeah. usually it's, if everyone ought to do it, then it's probably moving towards the right thing. You know, uh, it's interesting. You mentioned that about the, that sneaky little devil, the ego, you know, cause, um, it's also a gift, right? Could you yes. imagine trying to navigate this reality without it? We, you know, we wouldn't create microphones. We wouldn't be talking right now. It, it would be completely chaos, but something I've been, uh, <laughs> playing around with because I tend to do this too. So, you know, the victim blames outwardly, but goes inwards. The villain blames outwardly, but projects outwardly and usually not in mm -hmm. good ways. And the hero courageously says, Oh, Fuck, it was me all along, you know, I'm the one who didn't go training in the gym long enough. I'm the one who wasn't open enough. Um, but something that helps me just a, like a simple saying is if you don't know what it is, don't fight it. If you feel your body fighting an emotion or something that doesn't need addressing right away, i.e. the tiger in the jungle kind of thing, uh, usually mm -hmm. we'll call that an emotion. And it's usually, you know, we'd already talked about it, like how complex individually are you put us together in a relationship. It, the dynamics, the mathematical dynamics on that are just crazy. But yeah, when I don't know what it is, I just, I, I drop the fight. I drop the, the urge to raise my heart rate. I drop that tension that I hold, like whatever that energy is. And then through time, it'll come up. And then, like you said, um, it can definitely come up when you're interacting with cannabis, going for a walk, you know, Salvatore on Bilando my Latin's not so good, but while walking, it's solved. Um, you know, the original meditation. <sighs> yep. You never, you never suspect it's you, huh? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that's where Scooby-Doo was trying to teach us something, right? It's like, it was me all along, you know? It's like, I would have got away with it too if it wasn't for you meddling kids. Yeah. And another thing that Mark said to me that rocked my world is walking is integration. And if you think about it, that's like a metaphor, right? And like, you think about it symbolically, you're putting one foot in front of the other, you're embarking on a journey, and then you're reaching a destination. So it's like, just that metaphor can lead into so many aspects of life. And that's, again, to talk to simplicity, right? Like, you know, we're like, well, 
we need the treadmill in the house and we need all these, you know, different supplements. And that's all cool. Like I love biohacking. I love that world. That's super fun. But like the simplicity of just like walking on a path, right? You get out of your car, you walk down there, whatever you start the journey, you're moving on and then you end the journey, right? But the journey's not really over because then you leave walking and you go on to making dinner or whatever. That's a metaphor for how I, what I believe anyway, consciousness does, right? When it's the end of our movie, it's actually just the beginning of another movie. So we can choose to look at it as an ending or a new beginning, you know? And so it's like, you know, what you were talking about with language, right? Like all these ways in which we perceive things and what we've been told things. I think this is why it all goes back to like, people have got to have direct experience for themselves and come to their own conclusions. Cause otherwise they're not really living their own lives. They're living what other people's lives have said. And mm-hmm. let's, you know, say with the sake of conversation that every one of those people is doing the best with the information they had but that's the information they had. And it, we deserve to be able to have our own information and live our own experience of life with whatever information we learn. And maybe we might fall down, right? Maybe we might make mistakes, but those are our mistakes and our falling downs to make, you know, not anyone else's to tell us, oh, you can't do that because of this. You know, I think there's something in my human design uh, that speaks to that, you know, about like how like, you know, you're meant to go out and try things and you're probably not going to listen to the people that say, don't do it. Cause you're going to be like, you know, don't touch the hot stove. Well, how hot is it really? <laughs> oh, that is really hot. You know, okay, that's hot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I like thinking about the path. Um, in this case, like the, the literal path, you know, you're walking down something that has, you don't have to worry about the direction. You just walk. So you're not using those faculties. It has an end to it. It, it's moving your energy around. Um, but it's super simple, right? Like you mentioned about the biohacking, go for a walk in the morning sun or the evening sun and it's free and it'll do a ton. It'll move your joints. You know, like it's, it's like, it's, it's amazing how much like we're really geared to be humans and how much we can muck it up too, though, you know, um, learning that, finding that razor's edge for you, for, for me. Right. But I think that's, that's actually the, the part I get a little bit upset about is I, you deserve the best version of me and I deserve the best version of you. Not because it, it's like maybe necessarily earned, but it's like, if we're all firing in that best version of ourselves, not only will we be truly happy or whatever happy, that's kind of a bad word, but we'll be able to experience joy, peace, uh, that grace, but then it perpetuates, right? It's, it's like a, it goes critical. Like, like a nuclear reaction, you know, as soon as someone expands, other people around them expand and what's going to happen if we're just like doing that, um, at a bigger rate. I think it's fantastic thought. You know, it's cool. I think Aubrey had a, uh, a story about this, that the analogy was like perfect. And it actually wasn't an analogy. I think he, uh, went to do San Pedro somewhere and he got a massive headache. So he's on the boat right back with just his, you know, head in his hands and, he starts seeing this image of all of these. Well, first he sees the earth getting essentially raped and pillaged, you know, like syringes drawn out of it and fires and wars and all that stuff. But after that, you know, he was like, what can I do? And the next image that came to him was of all of these bobbleheads walking around, just, you know, like completely just walking around mindlessly. And so he was like looking at them for a second. He was like, what the hell? So he reaches out and he touches one the second. He touches it all of a sudden, boom, it lights up and starts looking around. And then it reaches out and touches another one. Boom that one lights up. Right. And I think that's what we're talking about, you know, by being the fullest expression of our authentic selves, whether that's being a spiritual guru or just selling hot dogs on the beach, whatever is our truth by living that, that is the most attractive thing to other people. 
And I think that like, you know, as a projector in human design, my strategy is waiting for the invitation. And so for me, the mistake I made for a long time was I learned stuff and I wanted to go tell people because I had the best of intentions that it would help them the same way it helped me. But if they don't want to hear it, it's not meant for them. So I think that for me, what I've learned is that if I fully embody what I love doing, the right people that are ready to hear and like wake up or whatever terminology you want to put on it, the right people that are ready for it will start asking, dude, you seem really happy. What have you been doing? Then the invitation's been made. And then I can put that information on them, knowing that it'll be a good energetic reciprocity between the two of us. And we'll be able to charge each other's batteries because they'll be receptive to listening because it's their time. And I'll be receptive to teaching because it's my opportunity to do so. Mm-hmm. And I think the more we can do that and realize that like all we have to do is follow our own heart and the right people that are meant to hear our message will naturally ask for it. And then we'll get to help them. And then guess what? Some of the people they help, we wouldn't have been able to help because our message wouldn't have resonated. And so it's all good when you really think about it. (laughs) Yeah. You're always in the servant teacher role, no matter where, like that scale, if you want to try to scale it in some kind of weird exponential consciousness scale, um, you're always, that's where you should always be like enough humility to know like, oh, it's time for me to teach and enough humility to be like, okay, time to be taught. Um, well, here, I invite you to keep doing that work, Ryan. I think it's great. <laughs> uh, Jeff, this has been amazing, man. You know, I'm going to have, have to have you back on for round two. Hopefully we get to do mm-hmm. one in person, uh, maybe interacting with some cannabis during a ceremony mm-hmm. or something like that. But, uh, man, I, I'm just so appreciative that we went for an hour and a half. This is amazing. And uh, I want to make sure that I give you ample time to tell people where they can find you. Where they can find, uh, I believe it's Dark Knight of Our Soul now instead of Post Traumatic Growth, or is it Dark Knight of the Soul? Well, so sure Dark Knight right. of the Soul is the original uh, Catholic script. Uh, it's not scripture, it's a poem written by uh, a mm. saint, but we changed it to the Dark Knight of Our Soul because we realized that it's going to take all of us. Perfect. Yeah. So where can people find you, connect with you, find out all the things you're up to? Because you've got a lot of stuff going on, man. It's all amazing. So I want to make sure, and we'll link it all in the show notes, but I love having people tell it, you know, firsthand basis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so for us, we facilitate post-traumatic growth. We're the only people in the world who would like actually use that concept. And we do it in ways that are, they're demanding on the body, but we do it for you through a few different things. And anyone interested, uh, specialforcesexperience.com uh, Jeff Tapati underscore for Instagram, uh, or special forces experience and, uh, all rabbit holes go down there. What I would invite is anyone who, uh, is a veteran or knows a veteran, have them check out citizen green. It's very much in its infancy in some ways, but it's, it's about to, you know, like a flower that's just about to like that. Um, it's, it's right there. And, uh, yeah, that's about her. I love it, man. And my last question for you, Jeff, is this. Let's say someone listens to this conversation and they're extremely excited to look into psychedelics in their own life. What is the one piece of advice that Jeff Tapati would suggest to allow them to use the proper discernment in choosing whether or not psychedelics are right for them in their life? Oh, man, that's a big old question, isn't it? Um, (laughs) So most people... When they're about to experience something new, they get a pang that they call fear, usually down in the solar sacral plexus. Sometimes it could be heavy arms. Um, if you get that, because we confuse that and we always label it as fear, but most of the time it's excitement. The universe wants the best for you. So do it, but find where you feel 
comfortable doing it, understanding that you're going to want to repeat your pattern. So you might see someone like, oh, I relate to that person. Just find where you're comfortable, um, but not repeating that pattern. Mm, I love that. All righty, guys. I first met Jeff, like I was saying, at one of my buddy Mark England's lake houses and knew right when I met him that not only was he doing amazing work, but that he was dedicated and committed to that work on a deep soul level. I imagine for each of you listening, it is easy to tell what I was feeling, even in not having met him in person. And if there is one thing I know about Jeff, it is that although he has already done so much in the world of trauma and bringing people together rather than apart through adversity, his work has only just begun. And for any of you looking to dive deeper into his world, find the post-traumatic growth documentary, Dark Knight of Our Soul, learn more about his special forces experience project and more, be sure to dive into the show notes of this episode, where I will be laying out all of the easiest ways to get in contact with him and stay up to date on all of the amazing creations he is putting out into the world. Jeff, thank you so much for doing the important work you are doing in the world for taking the time to share your experiences with psychedelics and how they relate to the field of both trauma and allowing us to ride the edges of our human experience and for being a voice who is daring to go against the disempowering stories stemming from the mainstream narrative in place of more empowering enlightening viewpoints on the subjects of adversity trauma and beyond and until next time my brother may your journey be smooth and full of light aho